The Law School of America. In law, a reasonable person, reasonable man, or the man on the Clapham omnibus, is a hypothetical person of legal fiction crafted by the courts and communicated through case law and jury instructions. Strictly according to the fiction, it is misconceived for a party to seek evidence from actual people in order to establish how the reasonable man would have acted or what he would have foreseen. This person's character and care conduct under any common set of facts, is decided through reasoning of good practice or policy, or learned permitting there is a compelling consensus of public opinion, by high courts. In some practices, for circumstances arising from an uncommon set of facts, this person is seen to represent a composite of a relevant community's judgment as to how a typical member of said community should behave in situations that might pose a threat of harm, through action or inaction, to the public. However, cases resulting in judgment notwithstanding verdict can be examples where a vetted jury's composite judgment was deemed beyond that of the reasonable person, and thus overruled. The reasonable person belongs to a family of hypothetical figures in law including the right-thinking member of society, the officious bystander, the reasonable parent, the reasonable landlord, the fair-minded and informed observer, the person having ordinary skill in the art in patent law, and stretching back to Roman jurists, the figure of the bonus pater familias, all used to define legal standards. While there is a loose consensus in black-letter law, there is no accepted technical definition. As with legal fiction in general, it is somewhat susceptible to ad hoc manipulation or transformation and hence the reasonable person is an emergent concept of common law. The reasonable person is used as a tool to standardize, teach law students, or explain the law to a jury. As a legal fiction, the reasonable person is not an average person or a typical person, leading to great difficulties in applying the concept in some criminal cases, especially in regard to the partial defense of provocation. The standard also holds that each person owes a duty to behave as a reasonable person would under the same or similar circumstances. While the specific circumstances of each case will require varying kinds of conduct and degrees of care, the reasonable person standard undergoes no variation itself. The reasonable person construct can be found applied in many areas of the law. The standard performs a crucial role in determining negligence in both criminal law, that is, criminal negligence, and tort law. The standard is also used in contract law, to determine contractual intent, or, when there is a duty of care, whether there has been a breach of the standard of care. The intent of a party can be determined by examining the understanding of a reasonable person, after consideration is given to all relevant circumstances of the case including the negotiations, any practices the parties have established between themselves, usages and any subsequent conduct of the parties. The standard does not exist independently of other circumstances within a case that could affect an individual's judgment. History. The reasonable man appeared in Richard Hooker's defense of conservatism in religion, the laws of ecclesiastical polity. 1594 through 7, where he preferred papists to Turks and accepted the opinions of religious experts when there was no reason to dissent. In 1835, Adolf Catlay detailed the characteristics of Lone Mian, French, average man. His work is translated into English several ways. As a result, some authors pick average man, common man, reasonable man, or stick to the original Lone Mian. Catlay was a Belgian astronomer, mathematician, statistician, and sociologist. He documented the physical characteristics of man on a statistical basis and discussed man's motivations when acting in society. Two years later, the reasonable person made his first appearance in the English case of Vaughn v. Menlove, 1837. In Menlove, the defendant had stacked hay on his rental property in a manner prone to spontaneous ignition. After he had been repeatedly warned over the course of five weeks, the hay ignited and burned the defendant's barns and stable and then spread to the landlord's two cottages on the adjacent property. 
Menlove's attorney admitted his client's misfortune of not possessing the highest order of intelligence, arguing that negligence should only be found if the jury decided Menlove had not acted with bona fide to the best of his judgment. The Menlove court disagreed, reasoning that such a standard would be too subjective, instead preferring to set an objective standard for adjudicating cases. The care taken by a prudent man has always been the rule laid down, and as to the supposed difficulty of applying it, a jury has always been able to say whether, taking that rule as their guide, there has been negligence on the occasion in question. Instead, therefore, of saying that the liability for negligence should be coextensive with the judgment of each individual, which would be as variable as the length of the foot of each individual, we ought rather to adhere to the rule which requires in all cases a regard to caution such as a man of ordinary prudence would observe. That was, in substance, the criterion presented to the jury in this case and, therefore, the present rule must be discharged. English courts upheld the standard again nearly 20 years later in Blythe v. Company proprietors of the Birmingham Water Works, holding. Negligence is the omission to do something which a reasonable man, guided upon those considerations which ordinarily regulate the conduct of human affairs, would do, or doing something which a prudent and reasonable man would not do. Rationale. American jurist Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. explained the theory behind the reasonable person standard as stemming from the impossibility of measuring a man's powers and limitations. Individual, personal quirks inadvertently injuring the persons or property of others are no less damaging than intentional acts. For society to function, a certain average of conduct, a sacrifice of individual peculiarities going beyond a certain point, is necessary to the general welfare. Thus, a reasonable application of the law is sought, compatible with planning, working, or getting along with others. As such, his neighbors accordingly require him, at his proper peril, to come up to their standard, and the courts which they established declined to take his personal equation into account. He heralded the reasonable person as a legal fiction whose care conduct under any common set of facts, is chosen, or learned permitting there is a compelling consensus of public opinion, by the courts. The reasonable person standard is by no means democratic in its scope, it is, contrary to popular conception, intentionally distinct from that of the average person, who is not necessarily guaranteed to always be reasonable. The reasonable person will weigh all of the following factors before acting. The foreseeable risk of harm his actions create versus the utility of his actions. The extent of the risk so created. The likelihood such risk will actually cause harm to others. Any alternatives of lesser risk, and the costs of those alternatives. Taking such actions requires the reasonable person to be appropriately informed, capable, aware of the law, and fair-minded. Such a person might do something extraordinary in certain circumstances, but whatever that person does or thinks, it is always reasonable. The reasonable person has been called an excellent but odious character. He is an ideal, a standard, the embodiment of all those qualities which we demand of the good citizen, invariably looks where he is going, is careful to examine the immediate foreground before he executes a leap or bound, neither stargazes nor is lost in meditation when approaching trap doors or the margins of a dock never mounts a moving and does not alight from any car while the train is in motion, uses nothing except in moderation, and even flogs his child in meditating only on the golden mean. English legal scholar Percy Henry Winfield summarized much of the literature by observing that. He is not the courage of Achilles, the wisdom of Ulysses or the strength of Hercules, nor has he the prophetic vision of a clairvoyant. He will not anticipate folly in all its forms but he never puts out of consideration the teachings of experience and so will guard against negligence of others when experience shows such negligence to be common. He is a reasonable man but not a perfect citizen, nor a paragon of circumspection, hand rule. Under United States common law, a well-known, though non-binding, 
Test for determining how a reasonable person might weigh the criteria listed above was set down in United States v. Carroll Towing Company in 1947 by the Chief Judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, Learned Hand. The case concerned a barge that had broken her mooring with the dock. Writing for the court, Hand said. The owner's duty, as in other similar situations, to provide against resulting injuries is a function of three variables. 1. The probability that she will break away. 2. The gravity of the resulting injury if she does. 3. The burden of adequate precautions. While the test offered by hand does not encompass all the criteria available above, juries in a negligence case might well still be instructed to take the other factors into consideration in determining whether the defendant was negligent. The Sedona Conference issued its commentary on a reasonable security test to advance the hand rule for a cybersecurity context. The commentary adds three important articulations to the hand rule. A person is reasonable if no alternative safeguard would have provided an added benefit that was greater than the added burden. The utility of the risk should be considered as a factor in the calculation, as either a cost or a benefit, depending on the situation, and both qualitative and quantitative factors may be used in the test. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America